Hello, and welcome to the Guardian Test Prep Back to Basic Podcast. My name is Dr. Christopher Seitz. I'm an emergency physician, and I'm here with my brother, Jason Seitz, who is a firefighter, paramedic, and RN. Together, we run Guardian Test Prep, an NREMT test prep company that specializes in helping EMT and paramedic students pass their national registry exam. Our Back to Basics podcast was created to make what are sometimes complex medical topics easy to understand and retain for students of emergency care. Please like and follow us on your favorite podcast streaming service, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for joining us. So in that recent episode, we were talking about our fear of snakes, but I recently found out that moose, now bear with me, moose, if you start hunting them, will hunt you back. Like they'll start tracking you. Like moose, they know they're aware they're being. They're hunted. aware they're being tracked, and, they and track they'll like you. circle around and moose track you. Moose are messed you. up, man. They're they'll like maul you, like right. really beat you up. Yeah, I saw a video recently where this guy was like running around his car, and the moose was like following him around the car, and he like couldn't get in his car mm-hmm. for safety. So they're I'm not saying scary. we shouldn't be afraid of snakes anymore. I'm saying that maybe we should start being afraid of moose. Well, just don't hunt moose, and they won't hunt you. It's a, it's a mutual respect. I don't think they thing. hunt you. It I think like if you're tracking do. them, they'll track you. But if you, but uh, what's the point of tracking you? What until they get to you? What are they going to do? They're going to hunt you trap down. Trap you, and, put you in a cage, treat you well. No, they're going to kill you. <laughs> All, right, well. All right, everybody. Well, welcome to the Back to Basics podcast. Uh, we're excited to be here today. Uh, you might see a little bit if you're watching this video, a little bit of a change here. So we're going through a little bit of a rebrand. So Sights and Sirens is becoming Guardian Test Prep. Um, and that's one thing I just want to talk about with you guys first before we move forward with the podcast today is we've get, gotten a lot of great feedback on the podcast. People are really excited about what we're talking about, um, getting a lot of value from it. If you like this, you're going to like our program even more. So if you're studying for the National Registry exam, whether you're an EMT, an AEMT, or a paramedic, you got to join our test prep program. Um, we do 15 hours worth of lectures as well as a workbook and practice questions. You get one-on-one access with Jason and I. So all these topics here and there that we'll do for you. Yeah, we'll do live lectures. So again, if you're studying for that exam, 94% pass rate, let us help you get through it. We've seen a lot of success with our students. We're super excited about that. So if you're liking the podcast and you or someone you know is getting ready for that national registry exam. We're just going through your program. And if you're having trouble in your program, it helps. We've got lots of people that are just you know, they're in cardiology now and they, they got some big tests coming up. So they joined the program and they're seeing a lot more success. Yeah, definitely. With it, we so. break down all the national standards so that you know that you're getting all the material that could show up on that national exam. Um, so again, we'd love to have you for that. So guardiantestprep.com, formerly sightsandsirens.com. Actually, either of those websites will take you there currently. So like I said, come join our program. You can keep listening to our podcast, but you can get a lot more content there as well. So today, yeah, like as Chris said, we've seen a lot of success with this and we got a lot of listeners now so we're excited about that so today we're going to talk about uh <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about uh priapism yes which is a painful long-lasting super erection well, let's talk about why we're going to talk about this all right we're not yeah, just being yeah. goofy we, we did get an email yeah. in from shelby f uh, she sent this email. I'm going to read it to you guys. It says, okay, super odd request, but I feel like you guys did an episode on lightsaber injuries. That is true. So this shouldn't be too crazy. Silly face emoji. I just want to make sure that we're really accurate. With Thank it. you for that. Right. Yeah. You guys should totally talk about pre-hospital management of priapism. 
In school, we only really learned about it as it relates to multi-system trauma patients, and I was totally floored to run into an inter-facility transport for a sickle cell patient and found out that it's a really time-sensitive thing, and it got me thinking about how I could manage that patient if I were to pick them up from home. What types of hospitals are equipped to manage this? What can we do besides pain management? What are some things to look for and questions to ask to expedite treatment? And are there any medical conditions that are predisposed to developing priapism? Is this something that people will deal with more than once? And are there any medications that can cause it or worsen it? So model listener here, because if you guys have a topic that you want us to do and you ask all those questions, that makes it very easy easy for us to outline what we're going to talk about and cover it. So Shelby, we're going to attempt to answer all your questions and we're going to get really into... Don't. (laughs) (laughs) And we are going to get really into talking about priapism. Yes. No, we're not going to get too excited about we're it. We're titling this, well, not too excited. Sure. Right, yeah. Because if we gonna, get too excited, we might have to cut this short. Right. Or extend it. <laughs> <laughs> so today's topic is priapism. We are going to call this lecture Understanding Priapism. It's just not that hard. Huh, I like that. Yeah. Do you get it? I get it. I do get it. Yes. Okay. Perfect. So, so what is priapism? So priapism is a, an erection lasting longer than four. If you, if you look at the textbook definition, it's an erection lasting longer than four hours, not associated with sexual like arousal or pleasure or that sort of thing. Right. So again, whenever we define these kind of things and we say like we, we give like a fur number, a firm number. See what I did there? Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. This is going to be a long. This is going to be a long. This is going to be a long, hard road. <laughs> we can't keep all those in there. We can't just keep. I got it. Anyway, so if we, um, whenever we have a definition of a condition and we put like a like a a hard and firm number on it. Like, sorry, no, stop. so if we put, if, but okay, but, but in all, in all, in all seriousness, when we put a number like four hours, right? Well, does that mean that in three and a half hours, it's not priapism? If you have a painful, no, it's been it that entire time. It's just, yeah. right, right. So, so keep that in mind when we talk about these kind of conditions, like just because something is supposed to be a certain amount of time doesn't necessarily, I'll even give the example of stroke. Like we only give TPA within the first like three and a half hours. Like, is it better to give it in two? Yeah. Like, it doesn't mean that we, like, like th- there's just things like this that we have to be careful of when we're defining time frames. Well, and everybody's different. Every patient's different. So we kind of have to, like, look for multiple things and use these kind of scales to help us figure out, like, zero in on what's going on, right? right. So right. with prepism, typically we have lasting for a long time. Mm-hmm. We have pain, lots of pain. Yep. Very uncomfortable. it is not associated with sexual arousal. They're not having fun. They're not having a good time. If you're having a good time, it's really not a prepism. Right. Um, And that's, I mean, and and usually it is a intense erection. Yeah. And intense pain. It's like I said, it's very, very painful conditions. We're dealing with, we're dealing with too much fluid in in the penis essentially. Mm -hmm. So, so before we jump into the, there's a couple different, the pathophysiology, I guess, before we jump into the pathophysiology of priapism and treatments from an EMS standpoint, what we do in the hospital, all that kind of stuff we're going to cover. I want to talk a little bit about patient assessment. 
you and I always like to go back to patient assessment when it comes to these kind of topics. If you're in our program, test, getting ready for the National Registry exam, or using our content to help you with your EMT or paramedic program, you guys know that we always are going to bring you back to assessment because literally everything you do in EMS starts with good assessment. If you want to be a successful EMT, you want to be a successful AEMT, successful paramedic, you have to be able to do a good assessment. One of the more difficult things to get a good assessment on is these more private complaints and these like when someone has like genital urinary complaints whether it's a female with vaginal pain or vaginal pain or bleeding or again a male with a painful erection you know our patients might be less forthcoming with information and we have to be comfortable asking the right questions asking enough questions and making our patients feel comfortable that they feel that they can answer these questions so that we can truly and efficiently diagnose and treat the appropriate way. Yeah, you want to become an extension of the hospital, not just a uh, like a, a a way to get to it, you know, yeah, a, a roadblock to get through it, right? Sometimes I, I've had times where I feel like my patients have been like, I, I don't need to tell you what's going on. You're just going to get me to the hospital, <laughs> right? So I'm, I'm going to say whatever I got to say for you to get me to the hospital, and then I'm going to tell the real problem to the, to the doctor, right? Mm-hmm. If we're approaching this with a level of professionalism, which I have not exhibited so far in this podcast, <laughs> but if, we're, if we approach this with a level of professionalism and, and show these people, no, like I'm a medical professional, I'm here to help, mm-hmm. and there are things that I can do to help you and this condition, um, I think people will be more forthcoming and they'll be a little bit more open to seeing you as an extension of the of the the, the medical field as opposed to a way to get into it. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, I like that. That's a good example. So, and that's the other thing too. So with these kind of complaints, because our patients, and this is at least what I have found in my practice, because these patients are more um, nervous maybe to talk about or uncomfortable talking about their complaints, you just have to ask a lot of questions. And you have to be okay and comfortable just asking a ton of questions. Because, you know, the complaint's going to be like, well, I'm having some groin pain. You know, I mean, something like that. Now, now I'll be honest, if a guy has like a true preabism, he's going to tell you like, it's way too hard. It's way too painful. Do something. About it. I mean, like, this is uncomfortable. Like, like they're not worried about being embarrassed anymore. They want this taken care of, at least when I've seen it. So, but that being said, I think it's, it's, it's worth mentioning. Like, how do we, how do we approach these patients who have maybe more, you know, private complaints or things that they're uncomfortable talking about? And again, I think the solution is just to ask a bunch of more questions. So, Things to ask for, especially when we're trying to assess like priapism. Was there any trauma? All right. Now, and that could be sexual trauma as well. I've, I've seen people who have literally well, you like. You told me one time that like, like when people break their penis. Yeah, that can happen too. Um, yeah, like when they like tear the tissue and they break right. it. Like most of the time that happens from sex and it's mm-hmm. usually like the woman's on top and she yeah. twists one way or another. Right. 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 And you told me one time that the biggest excuse you hear in the ER for this, like they try to act like they fell in the shower. Yeah. Which is so much more awkward. Cause it's like, what were you doing in the what shower? Where you were, you were yeah. like fully erect and then yeah. you fell over and broke your pain. And just like landed. You like just, just like threw your arms back behind you, you and landed. Sex, on top way, <laughs> right. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, way more normal if you were just having sex. Right. 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 So, so preapism is different than a broken penis, but maybe we'll sometime we'll have a podcast on broken penis. I don't know. We'll see. I, this might be too much for me already. So. Okay, all right, fair <laughs> enough. So, but yeah, anyway, so you have to be able to ask a lot of a lot of questions. So, was there any trauma? What were you doing when this started? How long has it been going on for? What kind of medication? We're going to talk about why these questions are important. But what kind of medications are you on? Are you doing any? Have you done any illicit drugs? Do you have testicular pain with it? Do you have you know rectal pain? I mean, you need to just ask the questions. I mean, you just yeah. have to ask because you need those answers to really diagnose 
what are what can be a very true emergency. And that's one thing I was going to say is this is a this is a true emergency. Like this isn't a joke. Like as much as you know, we, we like tease and have fun or whatever. You know, what I mean, it, it sounds like this is not like a, a silly topic in EMS. Like if if you have ever been on on this type of situation, most of the time these are very serious emergencies that need to be dealt with fairly quickly, or you're going to have a huge change in your lifestyle coming down coming down the road. So um, in the same way that we we treat like a a genital burn or like burns on your hands, like anything that's going to significantly reduce your quality of life because of injuries, that area, this is a, this is a serious injury or medical condition, you know, happening to the penis that, that we need to handle right away. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So let's jump into some of the pathophysiology and that sort of thing. So one of the questions that Shelby asked was, let's see, she said, um, so she said that she normally hears about it in terms of multi-system trauma. Yes. Right. So yes, that is that is a, can be a cause of preopism. That's the only time I've actually ever seen a preopism in the field. Um, I saw it was, it was in a trauma. A man had uh, had like spinal injury trauma, and we were working him, and he had a preopism the whole time because I yeah. think just the. And that's just like I said from from a neurologic standpoint. So trauma is a big one, but that's actually not the most common cause at all. So there's three different types of priapism. There's ischemic, there's non-ischemic, and then there's what we call like recurrent ischemic, which is also sometimes called stuttering priapism, which is just, it's too silly of a phrase for me to, so I'm going to call it recurrent priapism or recurrent ischemic priapism. So, so ischemic means lack of oxygen. Yep. Non-ischemic means not a lack of oxygen. Correct. And recurrent would be, I guess, coming and going. Yeah, exactly. You're getting the coming, kind of the coming and going there. So... Non-ischemic priapism is what is what traumatic priapism. So that's straddle injuries. Um, really, like I said, spinal cord injuries can cause that. Um, there are some neurological conditions that you'll see it in. A lot of times you will see that. So like even in terms of death. So sometimes when like men die, they'll have an erection at the time of death because it's just a neurological mm-hmm. phenomenon, essentially. I think you said you've seen it in like forms like head trauma before, things like that. Mm-hmm. So so non-ischemic priapism means that there's no problem with blood flow, right? Because if we're talking about ischemia, like Not you lack said, of lack oxygen. of oxygen, yeah. right? So lack of blood flow or, or problems with blood flow. It's just that you have, for whatever reason, vasodilation or these different things that occur because of a neurological things. That's actually not, it's not, not an emergency, but that's not really the emergent cause of priapism that we worry about. And that is time sensitive. 95% of priapism is ischemic priapism. And that's the worrisome one. Right. Because with lack of oxygen, we're going to have ischemia eventually turn to infarct or necrosis of tissue. Correct. Right. Right. So again, so that's the, that's going to be the, one of the main, it's the main cause of priapism and that's the most worrisome one. And you just said, like I said, you're going to get essentially lack of oxygen, tissue death, and then you're going to have problems obviously moving forward. So that's why we talk about the four hour mark. So at four hours is when we start to see microscopic changes to the tissue of the penis with this, with the ischemia, right? So the the penis can basically have this like ischemia going on. Once it hits the four hour mark is when we really start. So obviously like the earlier intervene, the better. So if you've got someone who's had an extremely painful erection for two hours and it's not associated with sexual, you know, intercourse or arousal or anything like that, like you need to already be thinking, you don't have to wait for four hours either. Right. But a lot of these guys will wait beyond four hours and that can be concerning, right? They're trying to take care of themselves. They're embarrassed. They don't want to go well, in. So that's one thing. And I, I know that this is, 
I'm not being silly, but like this is this is everyone's almost first question all the time, and it it's will a priapism go away with ejaculation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, like that, that's like the first question that ever, no one wants to say, but they want to ask. So the thought process is that if you were suffering from this, your thought would be, how do I take care of this myself? And it's well, if there's a pressure buildup in there, can I release the pressure through that? Right, right. So that a lot of times is attempted. It doesn't work. You know, you're still right. having pain, or you're unable to even become aroused because of the pain. Yeah, right. And then you, you run into all these issues. Yeah. But to, to answer the question, no, ejaculation will not fix a priapism. We right. usually have a, a f- buildup of fluid issue in the tissue. It's not like a, a like a buildup of like semen or something that you yeah. need to release. It, right. That's no, not what it is. Exactly. And it, But again, like a lot of, the, you know, especially lay people don't understand that. So these men will try to take care of themselves. And like sometimes there can be a delay of care because they don't realize the importance of seeking care earlier on. So the four-hour mark is when we start to see microscopic changes in the tissues. At 24 hours, which hopefully no one's waiting that long, but at 24 hours, you start to get fibrotic changes of the tissue that are irreversible. So you're basically getting cell death and necrosis in that point, like to to an extent that these men would go on to have, you know, impotence and inability to have erections and, and things like that. So let's talk about what's happening with ischemic versus non-ischemic. So we'll start with non-ischemic because even though it's the less the less common one, it's the one that, like I said, Shelby said that she had learned it about in terms of trauma. You've seen it in trauma. So that essentially is trauma. It's trauma to the penis or tra- trauma to the pelvic region that causes bleeding into the penis itself. The penis is specifically very spongy tissue that obviously absorbs fluid well so that you can have an erection. Like that's the whole point, right? So whenever we have bleeding or we have dilation of vessels or we have any, anything that would cause our vessels to become leaky, our vessels to become leaky, it's going to soak into that tissue more rapidly than than other tissue we'd see. But it's the same thing as as you know a bruise is fluid into the into the tissue, right? That's painful and it it swells and that area you know becomes you know, sometimes rigid, right? right sometimes yeah, rigid, you get like a hematoma type yeah, of situation, right. right? So the same thing's happening. It's just in the genitals. Right. So it's extravation of, of, of blood from trauma or like an, sometimes like an AV fistula can occur, occur because of trauma. So basically getting bloods like leaking out into the wrong, in the wrong space, right? It's not staying in the vessels, it's going to the wrong space. Explain what you mean by that AV fistula for those that okay, might not so understand. An so an AV when you have fistula would be an arterial venous fistula. So with trauma, if one of the vessels gets torn or both get torn, you can have blood flow going from the artery into the vein or in from the vein. And I mean, guys, into the artery to the vein. And then like I said, it just, it, there's, they're larger, they're, they become larger vessels. You have when mixing that of oxygen and deoxygenated blood and correct swelling exactly, occurring yeah. from that. Basically. So non-ischemic. So there's no ischemia there because there's plenty of blood there, but you're getting this leaking of the blood into the wrong places because of trauma. That's mm-hmm. not, that's, that's non-ischemic. So can it be painful, erect, like uncomfortable? Absolutely. Does it need to be dealt with? Absolutely. But you're not going to be getting lack of oxygen to the tissue so the risk of because there's not a blockage in flow correct right there's not a blockage in flow and there's not a lack of oxygen exactly so as exactly. long as we have oxygenated fluid it doesn't matter really how much you know at some point it needs to be dealt with because at some point it will be too much where you're going to start damaging the tissue from stretching sure but if, if fluid is in there and it's oxygenated you're not going to have necrosis of the right, tissue right it's not it's not as time sensitive in terms of like ischemia or necrosis yeah but now again the most common kind is ischemic so in ischemic priapism, what you get is that you have 
essentially a obstruction or blockage of flow. And actually, it's not a blockage of flow into the penis because obviously, if it was, you wouldn't have a, a hard penis. Yeah. You wouldn't have an erection. It's a lack of ability for the blood to flow back out. So it becomes trapped. So it becomes trapped in there. It's almost like a compartment syndrome in the penis. It's exactly what right? it is. Yeah, you it's have, a compartment a syndrome and now of the penis. Yeah. That fluid, it's used up its oxygen, right? Mm -hmm. The fluid can't get out. It can't go get new oxygen. Right. And now we just got a bunch of fluid in there that's not oxygenating our tissues. Now we got necrosis yeah. to worry about. And it's a little counterintuitive. So I'm going to, um, I'll talk to you a little bit about the pathophysiology of why why you get ischemia and we call it obstruction, but there's not like a true blockage. It's not like there's like a blood clot and there clot, that doesn't yeah. let the fluid come out. So what happens is, is the, so maybe you can share, what is the, what is the main cause? Cause this is another question that Shelby asked is like, are there medications that can cause it? What's yeah. the main cause of ischemic preopism? So it'd be erectile dysfunction medication, right? Right. Too much of a good thing. <laughs> Too much. <laughs> so, right. so whenever we give a medication, it obviously has those targeted effects. If we give too much of it or our body has a, a unexpected response to it, it might be following the mechanism of mechanism of action that we want for that medication but it it might be too much or, or too little and we have issues there right so it's interesting erectile dysfunction medication was initially when, when they they started to create this medication they kind of accidentally stumbled upon it at least from from my research of it um, they weren't looking for a medication they weren't to looking give guys for, erections. to give guys erections right. they were looking for essentially what nitro is for us today so nitroglycerin works to dilate the coronary vessels and open up the vessels, widen them to increase fluid flow because the bigger my 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 uh, volume, I'll lower my pressure, sure, but I have more volume of fluid going into the heart and then that's going to oxygenate the heart better and help during things like angina and heart attacks, right? What they did was they, they tested these medications on a bunch of men and a bunch of them came back and said, I have uncontrolled erections now. Like I, I'm, I've had an erection for two hours. Like, what do I do with this? And they're like, I'll tell you what you do with it. We make some money off of it. Let's stop worrying about the heart and let's just start oh, selling I thought you were this going somewhere who. completely different when they were going to ask these men to make money <laughs> off it. Okay. No, I see where you're going yeah, now. Yeah. yeah that no, makes but, sense. But right. it, it is funny to me because it's like, like these like pharmaceutical companies, like you assume that like people get into this because they want to like save lives. And I just imagine like, People like us be like, yeah, like let's save lives. Like we're gonna get the heart, and then it's like, you know what? Like let's just settle for making a lot of money and getting people heart. <laughs> so, but that's really what happened. So that's when you know Viagra, Cialis, and those types of medications started being developed. But erectile dysfunction is a serious issue that needs treatment yeah. too. You know what I mean? But it was, it's just funny to me that it started with like this life saving measure, and it changed very much to like a quality of life improvement yeah. thing, right? And this is why we don't use nitro alongside ED medications, right? Whenever we're going to give nitro, we say, hey, have you, have you had any ED medications usually in the past 72 hours? Because they do do similar things. They dilate vessels, when right? When we say ED, we mean erectile dysfunction yeah. medicine, just in case anybody. Yeah. yeah. Or phosphodiesterase inhibitors. Ooh, nice. That's what you can say. I like that. Uh, if you want to sound real no fancy. Say that, but You'd okay. say something like that at like an IC conference. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. You'd, you'd wear like high-waisted cargo pants and tucked in polo <laughs> shirt. And then you'd say that and like you'd, you'd pull your utility belt with all your pagers on it. Yep. And like you'd say, you use words like phosphodiesterase inhibitors. That's right, yeah. We, I know because I've been to the conferences. Because you've been to the conferences, yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. Um, anyway, we don't want to use those in conjunction with one another because they can have synergistic effects. And anytime we, we give, we have vasodilation on a local area, there can still be a systemic vasodilation, right? Generally speaking, though, the idea is we increase the the space that we increase the size of the vessel so more fluid is going to rush into the area and then in a localized area like the penis we're going to have then 
not have trouble getting an erection because we have more fluid going to that area. Right. right. And it's not even so much that we have more fluid going to that area. It's that we have less fluid leaving that area. And this is for erectile dysfunction. This is this is the. The part that can sometimes be hard to understand why ischemic priapism, which is the most common cause, like we said, most commonly caused by erectile dysfunction medications, doesn't, we say it's an obstruction of flow, but we're not talking about like an actual blockage. There's no clot there. There's no, so what it is, is that nit, you know, nitro, as well as these phosphodiesterase inhibitors, dilate the veins, Right, they don't really work on the arteries; they dilate the veins. So you have the same amount of flow normally going to the penis, but the problem is, is that it doesn't stay there because the veins are too small. So it just kind of goes right back out, and you can't maintain an erection. So you have to dilate the veins so that that fluid kind of sits in the veins and fills up the veins, and thus fills up the tissue so that the, the erection maintains and stays for clarification if, if you're not familiar with like erectile dysfunction like people sometimes think that it's like uh they're able like the, the men are able to be aroused like they're yeah if there's not a dysfunction there they're not able to get erect so right. it's, it's about like whether or not they can be hard so that's why it's just the answer is fluid it has nothing to do with you know sexual function right right it doesn't have anything to do with with semen production or anything with the testes or anything yeah, like yeah. that right it's not hormonal production stuff that's why it literally is just a a physical blockage a, a sense that they can't they can't get hard so right, that's exactly. why we just we give a simple medication that allows food to stay in there yeah. to allow them to be hard and this is what happens with ischemic or uh, ischemic priapism is that the veins dilate they don't constrict back down so you don't have an outflow of fluid so the arteries are pumping blood in no problem like they were before and now you've dilated the veins so the blood kind of sits in the veins but if it if if those veins never constrict back down well it just keeps sitting there and guess what you have an erection that goes for too long yeah. and now you've got you start to get these ischemia and stuff like that so that's what we mean by like obstruction of flow it's a it's a uh, decreased ability to essentially for the veins to remove fluid from the penis. So it's, it remains erect. If mm -hmm. it remains erect for too long, then we start to get ischemia because there's too much pressure and we get like a compartment syndrome right. in the penis. Which itself. is why on like commercials for Viagra and Cialis, they say, hey, give your doctor a call if you have an erection lasting longer than four hours. Usually four right. hours, right? And again, that four hours is because that's when we start seeing those microscopic changes. That's and, when we start seeing. And the seeing medication should have, if you're taking it the right way, Worn off by that. Should have worn off by then, right? Exactly. So then you should be able to have the, that fluid return and everything should be fine. Exactly. The other thing that we want to talk about is this uh, recurrent ischemic priapism. So recurrent ischemic priapism is you're mainly going to see this in like sickle cell patients. And this was what um, Shelby talked about in her question. And she said that when she did that interfacility transfer, it was for a sickle cell patient. She's kind of realized that maybe there's some other things about priapism that, you know, she wanted to know more about. It's weird. I feel like we're just given so much information here. This is good. No one's not going to ever understand anything about priapism anymore. But um, so anyway, so for sickle cell patients, what they have is an obstruction of flow. And this is much more of an obstruction than... This is a physical obstruction. Obs this isn't yeah. a lack of the flow back or anything like that. Like right. Just so what happens about. is the red blood cells sickle. And that causes almost like a sludging or blockages in the capillaries and the vessels themselves. That's why they get 
pain in their joints. That's why they get yeah, it. So, happens everywhere. It can also happen it in the can penis. Also just like, the penis. So, so you they get can these. get a blockage of flow in the penis that causes an ongoing erection that lasts for a long time. But again, it's a blockage of outflow from the penis. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. It's, not, it's not blocking flow into it. Otherwise, no. you wouldn't have an erection. So. And the reason it's not blockage going into is you remember that the arteries are muscular. So they're like literally they're like pressure. they're under pressure. So they're pushing things through. The veins rely on our muscles and our tissues to squeeze them to put blood back to the heart when it's just so it's, a passive flow you know and then, then chambers block off from backflow with veins right you, you right, have yeah. like chambers that, that close so that you don't have this backflow so since it's this passive low pressure system right it, that that way that in a low pressure system if you have sickling of red blood cells they clump together they sit there and then they cause, cause an actual blockage, blockage yeah. obstruction exactly so recurrent ischemic usually seen in sickle cell you can see it in leukemia these other things that will cause like sludging of the blood and, and like things like that like if you have a lot of in leukemia you have a ton of white blood cells same kind of idea right so recurrent schema so especially in sickle cell patients there's like a like sickle cell men have a i think it's like a 25 to 50 percent chance of 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 getting this at some point during their disease process i was gonna say at any time (laughs) not at any time (laughs) flip a coin that guy's got a (laughs) no no not like that um so again so the so these are the three main types Ischemic preopism is the most common cause. Hopefully we understand now the pathophysiology behind that. So what do we do for it? Right. Well, it would depend on the type, right? Right. Exactly. So if if it's a sickle cell issue, that's a pretty simple fix. I'm going to treat the sickle cell anemia, right? Right. And how do we treat that? We're going to treat them with fluid. Um, We might... We might pull blood. We might try to pull sickle cells and replace erythrocytes with with healthy erythrocytes, red blood cells, and do that sort of thing. Yeah, do transfusions. There's lots of things we can do to treat that. It's when we bump into the ischemic and non-ischemic where now we got to do some kind of weird stuff in order to make sure that we can not eliminate obstruction, but increase that flow back so that we can get fluid back out of the penis right so there's a couple things that we can do i think from an ems standpoint one of shelby's other questions was you know what can i do in the field right and sometimes i think we feel like we're more limited in the field than we actually are so like you said fluids and again we're talking about an ischemic state so anytime you're talking about ischemia oxygen give them oxygen i mean that is actually going to help i mean like that is going to help really put really saturate the red blood cells and hemoglobin with oxygen molecules hopefully we're presenting a little bit um preventing a little bit of ischemia there if we can do that, right? So we're going to do IV hydration. We're going to do oxygen. A couple other things that we can try. So ice packs to the groin in that area. So if you put ice on something, what usually happens to the vessels? It's going to constrict. They constrict. We want the vessel in ischemic preopism. We want the veins to constrict because that's going to push the fluid out of the penis back to the rest of the body and hopefully... Yeah, we're charging that low-pressure system, right? We're giving lots of fluid to charge that low-pressure system, mm-hmm. and then we're trying to constrict those vessels to increase the pressure to push that, right. that fluid out. Exactly. So ice packs to the groin and penis, that sort of thing. One thing you can also try is, like, exercise. Now, obviously, you're not going to, like, tell your patient, like, hey, before we go to the hospital, why don't you go run a mile? But having the patient, like, go up and down stairs or, you know, like, jog in place for a little while. Like, so anytime we're doing, like, exercise, we kind of we're shunting blood we shunt blood back to our kind of like our core and that sort of thing so that sometimes can help as well so that's something to think about like i said you i don't know how, i don't really know the statistics on yeah, how so successful that's, that's that as is funny as like we talked about this before before the pod, we started the podcast we we're talking about how exercise is the way to do it like i'm thinking about it now probably never gonna ask my patient to do exercise on scene yeah when they have a pre-epism I, to me it sounds like 
like we were talking about don't be that barrier to medicine, like be an mm-hmm, extension of mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're going to look at me like I'm like a voodoo magic guy. I'm like, oh, just run in place. Like that'll fix it. You're like, here's the deal. That's going to be hard to sell to the patient. The hospital's so, two I mean, miles maybe away. Maybe I'm just bad at it. If the hospital's but. close by, drive next to them as they <laughs> jog there because exactly. that is a treatment modality. Like imagine yeah. like you had a painful erection for like five hours straight. You're in extreme pain. Like, have you tried doing jumping call jacks? EMS and I'm like, run up the stairs a few times. <laughs> like, True. Fair enough. All right. It might not sell well to the patient. Right. Just keep that in mind. The other big important thing is pain control. This is very, very painful. These are guys are not having a good time, right? We said that. So aggressive pain control, I think, is very much a thing here. Narcotics, fentanyl, whatever they need, help them get their pain under control. Okay? So pain control, IV hydration, oxygen, and like I said, ice packs, maybe some exercise. Just know that that could potentially help. I guess just if you ever get one, not if your patient gets one. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then... Very much. And then um, that's pretty from an from an EMS standpoint. Again, that early recognition is so important. So asking the kind of questions, what medications you want, other things that can cause priapism, cocaine, cocaine's a you know essentially like a vasoconstrictor in some sense, but a vasodilator in others. So like cocaine, alcohol can actually contribute to it. Different things can contribute to that. So just do, make do sure a you're standard asking, workup. Yeah, what right. medications are you on? What have you taken or used in the past? three, four days. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Just get a background on your patient like right. you wouldn't anyone. That's where we're all about assessment. So do a good assessment, right? Right, right. And be concerned if they're talking nitro and things like that for systemic effects, right? So yeah. if they're a cardiac patient and you find out that they're like mixing these meds or what's weird, like ED medications, unfortunately, sometimes become like club drugs in their own way too it's like it's mm-hmm. you know I mean, people that yeah. don't have erectile dysfunction like take the little blue pill because they want to have like a good time that night or get like a super erection like they, they think that that's how it works it doesn't quite work that yeah, way right yeah. but they want to be able to last longer right so they they want to be able to have an erection for four hours so, so that this they can, is something and like i don't know i guess it depends on where you work but in the pornography uh field <laughs> These guys use Viagra and these medications like they abuse them. They use them a lot. They use them. So you'll see these they guys build like a dependency on them. They too. do. And the, most of of men who are in the porn industry long enough will develop some type of erectile dysfunction because of they overuse these medications and things like that because they have to be able to perform. They have to be able to keep that going. For, yeah. You know, so so another thing, like I said, so like lots of questions to ask that are not necessarily comfortable to ask. Don't be like, are you in the porn industry? <laughs> no, I wouldn't ask. I wouldn't ask that. They, but they're like, like, they're like, no. They're like, okay, have you seen porn? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, um, so anyway, but I was saying like, like just yeah. like things to keep in mind. Again, I'm not asking you to ask all your patients like some well, poor yeah, stay at so, home. So here, here's so stay at home you dad, take, and you're like, here's you a question. <laughs> question for you. Do you take erectile dysfunction medicine? Yes. Okay. Like how often? Like are you, you is this something you're taking? Yeah, like like before intercourse? Or are you taking mm-hmm. this like every single day? And like could you have potentially built up too much in your system? Sure. Or yeah. Or are you developing erectile dysfunction because you're abusing it? You know, lots of things to talk about. Right. Steroids can also um I think we're talking more like testosterone like injecting anabolic steroids, steroids, anabolic like, yep. steroids can you know can contribute to it i'm not gonna say it's gonna cause it it can contribute to mm-hmm. it so asking just like we should always should be doing asking about medications asking about past medical history conditions leukemia sickle cell these different things that can contribute to it again another thing i wanted to throw in here because we didn't talk about is in terms of signs and symptoms so something to look out for when, when you're doing your exam a lot of times the phallus itself will be very very hard but the glands penis won't so the tip of the penis won't be hard like in a normal erection like the whole thing's pretty hard because you got like normal flow but because of where the blood is flowing in the different 
parts of the penis. Like yeah. a lot of times the fowls will be hard, but the glands won't. So just another it, thing to yeah. clue you into. Hey, to ask. Right, to ask. But yeah. let's just be clear about something, all right? Oh, like, no, I'm checking. have to say this. Do I'm not squeeze checking. your patient's penis, all right? Have them check to see if the gland's penis is softer. I mean, I'm going to do it, but I'm a doctor. I'm supposed to squeeze Why do you sound excited about it? You're weird. I'm not excited about it. Like, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm passionate about my job. Yeah, I guess so. Parts of it. Anyway, so... <laughs> So what do we do in the emergency department then? So talking about like, you know, not, not only do we squeeze. No, I'm just kidding. No. So what else am I, what else am I going to do besides a, a lot of horrible things? If what you told me earlier is true and it this is sounds so like let's quickly talk. I about, think I'd rather cut mine off than it's not. OK, so it sounds awful. If those measures that we talked about haven't worked, IV hydration, oxygen, ice packs, things like that, then we have to get the blood out of there. And how do you get blood out of something in the medical field? You draw it. You draw it with off. With a needle. So, right. In your penis. Right. Correct. So All that we'll pressure do. build up and it's getting pulled out into a <laughs> 10 cc syringe. So yeah. So there's, so obviously we use, we'll, we'll, we'll numb the penis up first, but oh, then we'll take a, okay. then we'll take <laughs> Like, of course I will. Right. Of course I'm going to, or we'll do like a, I'll do like I a would nerve ask to be put out. I'll would you put block. someone out? Um, probably not. Like I'd, I'd probably like, do, snow me, intubate me. No, I'm not going to do that. And when I wake up, I don't want to be so hard. No, no, I'm not going to do that. Sorry. So we'll do a nerve block. We'll do like a nerve block to the groins of the whole groin, you know. But anyway, so then we will take a 19 gauge syringe into the two o'clock and 10 o'clock position and try to draw blood out. So you basically draw until you get blood out. Then once you've gotten a couple cc's of blood out, if that you wait for a second, if that doesn't work, then we'll inject into the penis. We can inject saline. Which that sounds help. counterintuitive. It so does. Explain. Just, just so explain. this is only after you've drawn fluid off. So you've taken blood out and then you inject saline in. And what happens is that fluid shift, the idea is that fluid shift in the tissue will hopefully encourage outflow, outflow. from the penis. Right, exactly. We also can inject phenylephrine. So we can inject a vasoconstrictor into the penis itself. You'll see this, not a lot. You'll see this with sickle cell patients though. Like a lot of times... Some sickle cell patients will actually be taught how to self-inject some of these medications because they just because they get these recurrent sickling. Do issues. they have to do it right into the penis though? Can you inject phenylephrine into the AC and have it affect no, that area? It's, it's got to be. be it's it's got to be, be a localized area. It's got to be localized. Yeah. So it's got to be in the penis. Everything has to be injected. But with in sickle cell patients, they don't know necessarily where the. I mean, all their joints hurt. They still inject phenylephrine, right? So are they doing it in one local area? You know no, no, I mean? no. The, the phenylephrine would only be for priapism. Okay. You just said they sometimes learn how to self-inject. Into their penis. They that's like, that's just basic training for sickle <laughs> no, cell? What do you no, mean? I'm saying some. If it's happened some, several yeah, times, you're getting it's like, recurrent. Okay. Again, recurrent ischemia. Yeah. Okay, then, so they yeah. don't use it for any other sickle attack? No. No. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just for their priapism, if okay. they get that. Um, if that doesn't work, we also do cold saline enemas. <laughs> I don't know. We look it up. Like, I, I just I don't. We just want to be done talking about, about it. Let's just not talk about it. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so cold, so there are some things. We'll suffice to say, there are some things that we'll do in the hospital that uh, you won't do in the field. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. Is there anything that you would tell me to do in the field if I was in contact with you and I said, "Hey, this gentleman has a priapism. I am. I have an IV established. I'm giving fluid." 
Anything else I can do? We have cold compresses on the penis. Anything yeah, there's not do? really anything else in the field you're going to do. So the cold compresses, IV fluids, oxygen, pain control, those mm-hmm. are going to be your main things. Again, you can try that exercise thing. There is some data and research to say that like injecting a systemic vasoconstrictor. That's what I was wondering. Like, could we do an epi or like a dopamine so or something like that? Or the, not really? The data kind of says that we don't know if it helps. So it's typically, especially from an EMS side of things, like having you do something. I mean, it's not in my protocol. So right, I that's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, but yeah. I'm just I, I would you ever deviate and be like, hey, just do this. Let's take a look. From load. a medical director standpoint, no, I would probably just have you bring him it's in. It's too risky. Um, with the there, there is some data to say you could try a, va- uh, a systemic vasoconstrictor. But the more I looked at that data, the more they said, ah, we don't really know if it actually helps. So and you usually have a long enough time frame to play with that. It's like, just get him in here and I'll inject the phenylephrine. Yeah, yeah. We can do that kind of thing, too. So, again, so those are the that is pretty much everything you need to know about prepism, I think. That's a pretty good It's been overview. a long, hard road, but we it's figured been, it out. <laughs> it's, it has. It's been long and hard, but it's not that hard anymore. And hopefully you don't have to think long and hard about this anymore. Okay. Well, we can be done. Do so. you get it? <laughs> yeah, no, I got it. So, all right. Well, Shelby, we want, again, we appreciate, let me see if there's anything else that you had asked. Um, medical conditions we talked about, medications that can cause it, absolutely, pain management, other things that we can try. So, yeah. So, hopefully this answered all your questions. We appreciate you sending in a question. If any of you who are listening, if you have a question of something like this, let us know. We'd love to cover it. Um, and again, you can send those emails. We're going to say... Yeah, we got a little transition happening right now. Right. So we're going to post on the video where you should send the emails. Well, yeah. Just send it to training at sightsandsirens.com. Yeah, you can do that too. You'll find... So go to our website, go to our podcast. You'll see our email there. Shoot us an email with your questions. We'd love to answer them. Cover topics you're interested in. Hopefully this helped. And um, again, if you're studying for the National Registry Program, join us, join our program. We've got a great success rate. We're really enjoying helping students. A lot of people are finding success. If you like this content, there's lots more where this came from. We've got a lot of resources for Different you. Different topics though. We're not just going to talk about penises all day. No. Talk but about if lots you want of us to, things. I mean. I know. could. I could talk about penises all day in could that you? program. Yeah. That's the kind of resources that we have. Okay. But what I'm saying is. It's a selling point for sure. We won't. But we won't. By choice. Right. All right. Cool. All right, guys. We'll have a good week and we will see you next time. Thanks so much for coming. Stay sweet. Hey, guys. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, we'd love for you to check out the rest of our content at guardiantestprep.com. We specialize in preparing EMT, AEMT, and paramedic students for not only their school, but also the National Registry exam at the end. Enter EMT test prep with over 15 hours of videos, workbooks, question banks, and everything you need to pass. We'd love to have you get involved. Again, guardiantestprep.com. Check us out.